thanks for joining us at Keys for SLPs, opening new doors for speech-language pathologists to better serve clients throughout the lifespan, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines, a curious SLP who embraces lifelong learning. Keys for SLPs brings you experts in the field of speech-language pathology, as well as collaborative professionals, patients, and caregivers to discuss therapy strategies, research, challenges, triumphs, and career opportunities. Engage with a range of practitioners from young innovators to pioneers in the field as we discuss a variety of topics to help the inspired clinician thrive. Each episode is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs and has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com. We are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast to earn ASHA CEUs. Type the word KEYS for $20 off. This subscription gives you access to all existing and new audio courses from speechtherapypd.com. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code word KEYS. Visit speechtherapypd.com slash keys and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Welcome to this episode of Keys for SLPs, Keys to Thriving with Young Onset Parkinson's Disease. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines. Before we get started, we have a few items to mention. This is a live podcast and we encourage questions from our participants. You can put your questions in the chat box for our guests to answer at the end of the episode. As a reminder, for this live episode to get live CEUs, you must log into your speechtherapypd.com account and complete the entire course content by the end of the day today. Here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. Mary Beth Hines is the host of Keys for SLPs and receives compensation from speechtherapypd.com. She has no non-financial disclosures. Mark and Kimberly Coas receive an honorarium from SpeechTherapyPD.com for this episode. Mark serves on the board of directors for the Young Onset Parkinson's Network and ambassador with the Davis Finney Foundation. And now here's a little bit about our guest today. Mark Coas has worked in the financial services industry for over 24 years in a variety of leadership roles, supporting operations, project management, and relationship management. In addition to serving as a career coach and mentor at work, Mark is actively involved in an employee resource group supporting those with physical and mental needs. Mark became a Parkinson's advocate after his diagnosis with young onset Parkinson's in 2018. His passion for total well-being and an active lifestyle motivate him to help others with Parkinson's disease. Currently, Mark serves on the board of directors for the Young Onset Parkinson's Network and also serves as an ambassador with the Davis Finney Foundation. Kimberly Coas started her professional career in fashion merchandising. After being married for 10 years, she and her husband traveled to China to adopt their daughter. Shortly after starting their family, Kimberly decided to work part-time. Much of her last 15 years with her daughter has been spent working with horses. Now that their daughter is off to college, Kimberly works for a social work agency in Kentucky. Welcome, Mark and Kimberly. We are so happy to have you here. Welcome. Good evening. Thank you for having us. Now, our goal at Keys for SLPs is to provide speech-language pathologists information and insight to help serve clients and families. Your experience will help SLPs understand both challenges and triumphs of those with young-onset Parkinson's and their families, as well as provide information and resources to support people with a new diagnosis. We appreciate you sharing your story with us. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Well, thank you for being here. Okay, so let's get started. So let's start by talking about the early signs of Parkinson's disease and your experience, Mark. It's interesting. I think everybody has different early signs in terms of, you know, what is every individual experience is something different. When I first started talking to people about Parkinson's disease, that saying was when you meet one person with Parkinson's, you meet one person with Parkinson's because things are so different. For me personally, I really started to notice a tremor in my hand. I kind of one of these gradual things, like you was experiencing it for a while. My wife, Kimberly, is one of the first ones to call it out and mention it. Other things that I've also noticed, I was having balance-related issues, you know, just simple things. If I were standing at the kitchen sink 
and were to lean, you know, lean over to get something, I'd lose my balance where it just I normally wouldn't do that. Another one of the things that I noticed, and it was a little bit of hindsight, was just my s- slowness of movement. My wife and daughter used to tease me for a while when I was chopping an onion or something. I was like an old man because I was really slow at doing that. I remember somebody making a comment in a in a line, buffet line one time that, hurry up, Coas, you're moving slow, right? And I just really didn't think about those things until I received the diagnosis and really started looking back on these things in hindsight. So again, for me, it was really a tremor related, some slowness of movements and balance issues were some of my first early symptoms. Okay. And how old were you when you first noticed those symptoms? So I was diagnosed at age 46. And so one important thing to note is if you are diagnosed under the, when you're diagnosed with Parkinson's disease under the age of 50, you're considered young onset, right? Anybody over 50 is just Parkinson's disease, but anybody diagnosed under 50 is young onset Parkinson's disease. And as you grow, you continually refer to yourself as kind of that young onset because that's when you are diagnosed. Okay. And is the progression of young onset quite different than non-young onset? It can be. And the progression really varies by individual and when you catch the disease and how things happen. I've noticed for some folks that I know, friends of mine, peers that I've made, even with young onset have progressed much quicker than I have personally. And so, again, I think that's where the difference of of individuals comes into play. And even folks that are a little bit older when they're diagnosed kind of really depends on kind of their cycle or their experiences and how quickly they progress. One of the things that I know we'll talk a little bit about this, Mary Beth, is there's only one known thing to slow down the progression of Parkinson's disease, whether it's young onset or just at any stage, and that's exercise. It's the only known proven thing right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I know we'll get into that a little bit. You mentioned your signs. Are there other signs that perhaps you didn't have? I think there's things that I'm starting to keep an eye on more because Parkinson's obviously is something going on in your brain, right? And how your brain processes signals and such. Um, you know, so some some folks have trouble walking, right? Where they described as like your feet are almost like nailed to the floor and you can't send a signal to like kind of get your feet to move. Fortunately for me, that's never been an issue, but a good friend of mine it is. And I've just, I've seen him literally walk standing right in front of me, trying to walk and couldn't and literally just fell over, right? Because the, the signals weren't having a brain. And this is somebody who was, you know, my same age, who was literally using a walker to walk. There are also other cognitive impairments that can come over time, such as, you know, your ability to kind of think in clear patterns, recalling certain words to use, your ability to kind of multitask slows down. And some of these things, right, are almost sound like these happen naturally as you age, but with Parkinson's, they happen sooner and potentially more quickly than they would a normal person aging. And some of those things I'm starting to see with myself a little bit more around the the cognitive ability and just, you know, sometimes I, I lose my train of thought or get hung up on a particular word or two that just may not come to me as quickly. Mm -hmm. Which can also be very natural, but because knowing that is a sign, you're probably more aware of it. Exactly. Exactly. And one of the things that I think maybe something important for this group, right, is the impact to your speech as well, right? And one of the things that I noticed very early on, I was starting to talk a little bit more softly, right? And that's that's another symptom of the Parkinson's, right? You talk softly. And again, I know a gentleman like my age, I can barely understand him because of the way the Parkinson's has impacted his voice. So really focusing on your voice, doing voice exercises. Uh, I think what helps me tremendously is my day-to-day work environment, right? I have to speak up and, and use my voice, but then there's some, sometimes at the end of the day, I'm just wiped out, right? I don't want to talk to anybody because I've really been focusing all day at work on speaking up and speaking louder than I normally would. Mm -hmm. Well, it's good to be cognizant of that because, of course, we know as speech language pathologists, there 
are things that can be done to help the voice when it is affected by Parkinson's. So we'll get into that a little bit more later, but so far so good in general for your voice, except when you're tired at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. All right. So after the initial diagnosis, you took action, which I think has really contributed to your thriving now. And so the reason why we wanted to do this was really to inspire other people to take action as well. So tell us what people can do after the initial diagnosis of young onset. Yeah. So I think it comes down to a couple of things. One, it's continuing to educate yourself, right? And do that in a couple of different ways, right? One, find out what those trusted resources are, because, you know, there's a lot of things on the internet that may or may not apply to you, but find those trusted resources, you know, and, and a couple in particular that I stumbled across early on, of course, the Michael J. Fox Foundation, which is a tremendous resource. They do a great job raising money for research and new drugs and new therapies. The Davis Finney Foundation, which I'm also an ambassador of a representative for them, they really focus on living well today with Parkinson's. So, you know, what do you do today from a make the best of your situation? So that education, but for me, it was really a lot about exercise, right? I mentioned earlier, the, the, the only known way to slow down the progression of Parkinson's is exercise and just staying active. And that's true at any age. And I remember a doctor telling me, he said, I'm going to give you a little tip. He said, do you know what the best exercise is? I said, no, what is it? Tell me. And he says, it's the one you enjoy doing, right? So whatever that might be, whether that's, you know, just walking, treadmills, ellipticals, weights, just finding something to stay active. And that has helped me in a couple different ways. I mentioned my balance issues. Now, because I'm a, a little bit stronger, I can catch myself when I start to lose my balance, right? Before I would need to take a couple steps before I could catch myself. And now I can, you know, kind of almost kind of, I call it a joke when I stick the landing, right? So I'm not taking a lot more steps to, to lose my balance. It's that core strength. Also, you know, just your ability to get up and down out of chairs can be impacted by Parkinson's and that general movement. So just having more strength to do those things is a benefit, right? And, and again, I think, and that's for anybody. I talked to a lot of people about my Parkinson's, my diagnosis, my exercise routines. I am probably in the best shape I've been since high school. And I, I feel much better because of that. And if nothing else, this diagnosis of Parkinson's is really focused or require me to exercise and to get in better shape. I look at it as my life depends on it, right? And, and I don't want to look back one day and say, I skipped, you know, couple days in the gym for whatever reason, and could that have made a difference for me? So that exercise was really key. And one of the early things I found that really helped me with that was, you know, when I was diagnosed, the doctor gave me a pamphlet of resources or a folder of resources. And I found a local rock steady boxing gym. And I thought, well, this would be cool because I did a little bit of research and found out how boxing because boxing is one of the most demanding sports to train for from an exercise and challenge to your body. So having that type of conditioning, and it's non-contact boxing, so having that type of conditioning and also being around other people that are experiencing similar things to you made such a difference. And my trainer and now one of my good friends, Matt Daniels, was one of the folks locally here that had that gym and I think forever changed my outlook on exercise and my approach to that. Well, I think part of that program, I'm not sure if it was part of that program or just another program, but one of the things you told me you did is you learned how to fall. Yes. Was that part of Rocksteady? It or was. was that it was part of Rocksteady. And that's a scary thing in itself because with Parkinson's, you're going to fall. And fortunately, I, I think I've fallen less than three times since my diagnosis. And one of them was probably my own stupid fault more than anything. But yeah, there's a good way and a bad way to fall, right? And I think you think about one of your first instincts when you fall is to put your hands out and try to stop yourselves, right? But that can lead to broken wrists, broken arms, problems with shoulders. So we really focused on how do you fall forward? And it's a kind of a scary process because really you're kind of throwing yourself forward and rolling on the back of your shoulder or your back. And then when you're falling backwards to kind of brace yourself and get yourself into a ball. 
Fortunately, we did that on a nice, soft surface, so we didn't have to practice, but it would have really hurt. But the one time I really did fall, it helped because I instinctively wrapped myself up and just kind of rolled back. And when I hit, you know, I hit, you know, kind of on my back end and just rolled. And again, it was on the carpet, so it wasn't significant. But it's it's one of those little things, Mary Beth, that you really don't think about, but it can really make a difference if it's something you're focusing on. Mm-hmm. And is part of that also not tensing up? Because I know usually when we start to fall, we get tense, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Just, you know, just trying to stay as relaxed as possible. And, and again, I think that's where practice helps, right? You know, how can you practice those things without hurting yourself, of course? But yeah, just getting in that mindset to just try to brace yourself, but, you know, not over, overly brace yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then also just another little question about rock study. Is it only for people with young onset? No, the way they have the program structured, they give you different ratings, the ratings based on your physical abilities. In mine, there were folks, they were not young onset, but their symptoms were less severe than others. There was a class right before mine, and there were two gentlemen in wheelchairs that were there, and the trainer would do everything he could to try to get them up out of the wheelchairs occasionally or just getting to use their legs and hands in the wheelchair the best that they could. And they would welcome spouses and other caregivers as well if they wanted to come and attend the class with the Parkinson's folks as well. Okay, okay. Well, that's great for us to know because we are working with people who have Parkinson's. So being able to spread the good news about resources like that, and that's almost like a franchise in different cities. It is. It's a national thing. It was started in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is close to where we're at. But it is a a national and actually international event. They actually, through the program, train their coaches and trainers to do it. And each of the coaches and trainers bring a different aspect to it. I mentioned Matt, my trainer, he actually had a boxing background. So we were really heavily focused on the boxing aspects where others may come at it more from a kind of a physical training aspect of it. But foundationally, it's this similar program and maybe just geared a little bit differently. Okay. It also sounds like that was a little fun, which is also important to have fun if you're going to thrive, right? There's nothing at the end of the day when you're stressed out a little bit from work to go hit a heavy bag or hit a speed bag at work and or at the gym. And something that I have in my basement here is a heavy bag. So it's just a nice way to blow off a little steam and, and have some fun. Well, that's great. So that particular gym closed. So you are now working out on your own or with a trainer? Yeah, unfortunately, it did close with all the pandemic-related unactivity, I should say. So we are fortunate enough here to have some room in our basement that we put in an exercise room. I really credit the foundation that I had at that gym for two years to kind of get me into my own routine. So what I do here is I I follow a couple of different trainers on YouTube and just you know follow along with their exercise routines. And they have you know pop up a video of anything you're really looking for. And there are, you know, different levels and abilities of videos. There actually is even some virtual rock steady programs that you can follow along now. If anything, that you know, one of the positives with this whole COVID virus is a lot of people have really done these virtual trainings. There's another program that one of our my fellow ambassadors does. It's a just dance program, right? Just get up and move, right? And going back to that thing that I said earlier about just the, any fun exercise that you enjoy doing. So there are a lot of virtual things that you can do. But yes, we're fortunate enough to buy a couple loose free weights, a heavy bag, an elliptical. And and between those and the YouTube, it just it keeps me active and very busy. And and of course, you know, when we have time to Kimberly and I like to walk the dog and take hikes and stay active. So that helps as well. Well, that's great. All right. So exercise, exercise, exercise. And you mentioned research and education. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, a lot of that comes from just, you know, talking with your doctor, right. And asking questions. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but yeah, just, you know, there's so many different things that can change and progress because of your Parkinson's that I think it's important to kind of read about them and understand what you're going through and understand what others are going through as well, because, you know, you're, as I said, everybody progressed a little bit differently, but you're going through a lot of similar experiences and activities. Mm-hmm. All right. And then medication. So initially, 
right after your diagnosis, did you use medication? Were you prescribed medication or? Yeah, when I was first diagnosed, I went to, you know, actually four different doctors before I ended up with my final diagnosis with, and I learned kind of the little longer way is right for Parkinson's, you really want to see a movement disorder specialist, right? So your neurologist has especially a movement disorders, which really focuses on Parkinson's. So they were the ones that really diagnosed me and said, okay, let's start you on some medicine. And one of the things that I heard early on that really wasn't true was that, you know, you can max out of the medicine, like you start the medicine and then you no longer benefit from it because you've been on it too long. I thought to myself, okay, maybe I don't need the medicine right now. I'm going to start doing the exercise and some of the other routines and see what happens. And my neurologist, basically, she said, that's fine, Mark, but if I hear you start to have more balance issues and you're falling and having walking issues, you become a safety hazard to yourself and others, then, you know, you really should think about the medicine. So as I was starting my exercise routines and talking to others that have gone through this and really then educating myself and talking to the doctor more about this, yes, your symptoms eventually progress beyond some of the medications because it is a progressive disorder. It has nothing to do with you kind of outpacing the medicines. There's different medicine types you can try and different patches and everything as well. So I, I think it was probably maybe about four to six months after my initial diagnosis, I think on my second visit, that I did start to go on some early medications to help me with some of my symptoms. And it made such a big difference. But what I also found was some of the medicines had some odd side effects. One of the major side effects of some of the medicines that really boost the existing dopamine in your body, they can cause obsessive behaviors. Fortunately for me, I never really developed anything, but I can tell I kind of become a little obsessed in just some of my patterns, but like gambling, like people have experienced gambling problems because of the medicine. So, and that was where my doctor said, it's very important that we talk about your symptoms and tell me everything you're going through. So sometimes I'd get a little hyper-focused on maybe something, you know, just around the house, but nothing too obsessive. One of the things is we started to increase some of the medicines. One of them in particular, I started having more concentration problems. So I thought, oh gosh, the Parkinson's is really progressing. So I talked to my doctor. She said, oh no, it, it could be, but it's also a side effect of that particular medication. So why don't we scale that medication back and then start you on some of the dopamine replacement therapies which I started, and it made such a difference. It was really amazing how much that medicine was impacting me that I really didn't even notice. And thankfully, my wife Kimberly noticed some things would really call that to my attention as well. Like, you're doing, you know, this, and it never really seemed to, you know, never seemed to do that before. Your tremors seem a little bit worse. Did you take your medicines? So just really continuing to alter the medicines. And uh, I feel like right now, for the past four months, I've been on a pretty good mixture of medicines that have helped me from some of the tremors that I've experienced, my balance issues, the slowness of movement. And then I can really tell, and we've also recently adjusted the times of day that I was taking them, even that matters. So like instead of taking them real late at night, take it a little bit earlier in the day and take them maybe a little closer together. So, and that's something that you can really work with your doctor as well is how do you adjust the timing and how do you adjust, okay, you're taking the same dosage, but maybe different times throughout the day. And then maybe also syncing that up with like activities, right? You know, certain things where adrenaline is more prevalent can make some of your symptoms worse. So do you kind of take medicine maybe a little bit earlier to help offset some of those adrenaline rushes that you may experience to help control your symptoms? Of course, always, you know, working with your doctor to make sure you're taking those medicines as appropriate. Well, it sounds like you have a great working relationship with your doctor. Thankfully, I do. And that's really made a difference. And folks that I know that I hear that they, their doctor doesn't give them enough time, they don't respond to them, they don't sit down and talk with them. I said, it's time for you to find a new doctor, right? Because, you know, if you don't have that trusted relationship with your doctor, it becomes very difficult. Unfortunately, Kimberly goes with me to my appointments, right? And she will ask some questions that maybe I forget or notice some things or point out some things or ask them a different way. 
And also just a second set of ears to hear things that, you know, I may have overlooked or didn't hear right or over, you know, got mixed up with something else. So having both Kimberly and myself in the room with the doctor and hearing that and finding again, my doctor has been great. I've had to one actually decide to step away from work for a while and have work with another one. They're both very responsive to emails phone calls, I can call them and say, hey, look, this isn't happening where I think it is. They may recommend, you know, change the medicine through a conversation versus me needing to go into the doctor every, you know, every time we want to talk. So mm-hmm. they've been very good to work with. Well, that's great. It sounds like they're really on top of it. So you mentioned speech a little bit. At this point, you're just very aware. You said you were talking softly and you haven't had any speech therapy up until this point. So what did you do to gain the strength in your voice? For me, it was awareness. One, that I was starting to talk a little softly. And then when I still work full time. So I'm in a position where I'm talking pretty much nonstop throughout the day. So it's just an awareness and just speaking loudly, speaking consistently, trying to enunciate my words from that standpoint. There are others that have really struggled with that. In fact, Davis Finney himself, when he was diagnosed with young onset, it took him a while, but his his speech started to fade off. He would take singing lessons and the singing lessons really helped him with his voice. And he said, sometimes I can sing clearer than I can actually talk. So he said, you know, sometimes if uh, if I'm stuck uh, on something, uh, I may sing it out a little bit more. But again, it kind of works differently for different folks, but I think it's just the awareness that you what you're going through there are i think like shout programs that you know you can really focus on the voice that's another thing that back to rock steady boxing is you know, one of the things that we did is when we'd stretch and we would count the train to enforce us to count out loud and really for you know to use our voice and project and when we're hitting the bags to yell and scream because all those things kind of you know go hand in hand and just kind of get you thinking about it Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. So balance, besides the rock steady, learning how to fall, being aware of your balance. And I mean, only three times since 2018. And that's good news, right? Yes. And then the medicine is helping with your balance. Is there anything else that you've done? The exercises are a big help as well. So I think just that really helps with your core strength, your leg strength from that perspective. It's interesting, you know, I talk to folks being through the Young Onset Parkinson's Network. There's a group that they do rock climbing, right? Because it's just the indoor rock climbing where you're harnessed in. So there's little chance you're going to get injured, but it really helps with their strength and their balance from that routine. There's another group that, you know, they do skiing still, right? But they've been skiing their whole life, right? And I tried skiing for the first time last year in about 20 years. I didn't count that in the number of falls, but I found out pretty quickly that I'm not going to become a skier any, anytime soon. But there's different ways that people really work on that balance. And again, I think just finding something that you enjoy doing, but a lot of it comes down to just your own core strength and recognizing your limitations, right, in terms of what you can and cannot do. So true. Okay, support network. The support network is a big thing with such a young onset. Yes. With young onset, is there an average age of diagnosis or is it more in the 30s and 40s versus 20s? Mary, that's a good question. I really don't know the answer to that either. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, to be diagnosed with young onset, you have to be less than 50. But, you know, in reading this, geez, I've heard of people in their 20s getting diagnosed. You know, I think Michael J. Fox, when he was diagnosed, was in his early 40s. So I think some of the more stories I hear about are people in their 40s that are getting diagnosed. It can really happen at, at any age. Okay, yeah. Of course, a support network is important no matter what your, the age is of your diagnosis, whether it's young onset or an older onset. But you credit your support network as one of the things that is helping you thrive with young onset. So can you tell us a little bit about how you have engaged with your support network? Yeah. So my first really support network became the folks that I was working out with at Rocksteady, right? And we still, you know, there's a core group of us. We still stay in touch and email, text, and try to get together for lunch and dinners and such occasions. So that's really become my core support group. 
beyond that, you know, when I was first diagnosed, people would say, you know, say, Hey, there's this support group meeting here on this side of town. There's this one here on that side of town. And I would go to a couple of them and, and realize that again, you need to find what works for you. Some of these support groups were like kind of a little older and they would really sit around and talk about all their ailments versus what they were doing. And so for me, beyond just the folks that was met at the gym and working out with them, it's the connections I made through the Davis Finney Foundation, having that as a support group and that as a connection. And even now with the Young Onset Parkinson's Network, it's another group that we're really focused on trying to cater for folks with Young Onset who are still active, right? Because there's a lot of us that can do certain things and like to get out and you know be in the outdoors, whether that's just hiking or doing something a little bit more strenuous or a bit like the mentioning the folks that are rock climbing or skiing. So it's really just finding that group that you can connect with. And if that group that you connect with is the ones that, you know, gather at the local Panera and sit around and talk about their ambulance, that's there's a lot of different ones out there. So I always encourage people is don't stop until you find something that fits what your personality, what you're looking for. Well, that's great. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Young Onset Support Network? Is it originally established in Chicago? So the Young Onset Parkinson's Network is actually still fairly young. And I don't think as an organization been around, not even been around for a year yet. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was started by a lady by the name of Anna Grill. She's in the Virginia, Maryland area. And so she herself was diagnosed with young onset Parkinson's and she was running into these situations like there wasn't a lot of resources out there for folks that were diagnosed with young onset. So that was her mission and goal to bring that to light. So she's starting to do this. She formed the board, which I'm, I'm a part of, was unfortunate to be a part of. It's really brand new. I, we're still like ready to pull the switch and get the website up and running that we have some presence on. Facebook now, but yeah, it's a quickly growing network of, of individuals, all diagnosed with young onsets. And really our goal is to be a curator of content and help people make those connections to a lot of the other resources that are out there. And for folks like myself with young onset, we're doing a series right now. There's a gentleman by the name of Jimmy Choi, who is on American Ninja Warriors. It was broadly known, obviously, that he had Parkinson's, and you could visibly see his tremors. I think the first year he went pretty far into the competition. So, you know, he really comes and talks about his experiences with exercise. You know, I mean, not everybody's going to exercise up to that level of American right. Ninja. <laughs> but, you know, those are the types of events that the Young Onset Parkinson's Network is really looking to do and educate people dietitians, right? You know, what is good proper diet for folks with Parkinson's? Even though there's not one particular diet that's better than the other, a lot of it's just health, generally healthy eating. But those are the types of resources that the Young Onset Parkinson's Network is trying to bring for folks and make it more available for everybody. Well, I love how you have taken a leadership role in both organizations to help others, but that leadership role probably helps you as well. It does. And, you know, one of the reasons I became in touch with the Davis Finney Foundation is when I was first diagnosed, I was like, what do I tell my work? And I know we'll talk a little bit more about this, but I reached out to one of their ambassadors and they, these are just individuals who volunteer and they have specialties in different areas because they've gone through it. And so the gentleman I reached out to just saw his name on the internet, exchanged some emails because you have through the Davis Finney Foundation and he was one of their first ambassadors. And we just striped up a, a connection and you know talked several times on the phone. He gave me some great advice and great resources to go through. And, and for me, that's part of that extended support network is that organization and just becoming involved really has helped me deal with my own situation. Well, that's great. Now you're on the board of both of those organizations. Do you off the top of your head know if there is a speech language pathologist on the board? So just to clarify, I'm not on the board for the Davis Finney Foundation. I'm just a volunteer in their ambassador program. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't think they have anybody directly dealing with speech in either one of those, but I do know that the Davis Finney Foundation has some recommendations in terms of connections and things you can do to help with your voice and your speech. Okay. Well, that might be an opportunity for someone listening 
to contact either one of those organizations because we as speech language pathologists, I didn't go into it too much as you were describing, but we know a lot of methods, treatments, and and tricks to to help people. Now, tricks is, of course, not a very technical word, but (laughs) we might have a question in the chat. I will come back to that. Okay, and now I have a few questions for Kimberly. Since the diagnosis, what has your role been? Just cheerleader, supporter, being observant, and just making sure, like, He's aware of certain things, going to the doctor, like he said, with him and just taking lots of mental notes of changes that I might see and then discussing them with him. Yeah, just being as attentive and and just continuing my role as a partner in life. And do you have any advice for anyone you said, you, you know, being observant? So initially, was that kind of delicate to say, hey, I noticed such and such? Yeah, it was like I was very concerned about hurting his feelings, I guess, and bringing more attention to it and make, you know, I think initially the first probably six months of his diagnosis, I can remember like we would be walking and I would kind of like tap his arm and say, swing your arms. Cause that's another thing, you know, with Parkinson's, that's another sign is when you don't swing your arms when you walk. And so I would tell him to do that. And he kind of, get a little defensive, not bad, but, and then he'd make a joke about it, which is important. You have to make jokes about things. And there's some really great people that he has followed through either Facebook or different ways that are kind of comedians about it. I mean, they have it themselves. And so he has to learn to make some jokes about it. And yeah, so just telling him certain things. And like he said, like sometimes I could tell maybe he hadn't taken his medication or, you know, have you eaten different things like that. So again, Mm -hmm. just being a partner. And so after some time, you're no longer hesitant. You kind of got to an equilibrium there. He understood you were only trying to help. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's about for all, it's about acceptance, you know, and I think that that's one bit of advice that I would give anybody is just to accept the changes. I mean, because it's very hard initially the diagnosis, you know, like you feel doom and gloom. I mean, you start to like read on the internet and sometimes we just, we all have the tendency to focus in on the worst of what we see or read. And I just had like these overwhelming fears and I, I didn't share with very many people initially at all because, you know, he wasn't ready to share with people. So, you know, I had to be respectful of what his privacy, what he felt was private to him. And, but then at the same time, like I kind of reached a point where like, I need to talk to somebody. Everybody deals with things differently. And his personality and my personality are very different. So that was another discussion that we had to have, which was, I understand that you want to be very private, but I feel very alone right now. And I need to talk to somebody, you know, he had his doctors, of course, and and he had started to go to rock study and still nobody knew. So he had that little bit of an outlet. And so that's, you know, you just have to be ready to roll with all the different changes. Good advice. So what do you think has been your biggest challenge? I guess looking at our future, kind of facing your fears. You know, I think we all, you know, you get married, you have a family and you have this picture of what your future is going to look like. And I guess for me, the biggest challenge has been to like not look too far into the future and just take it day by day and just embrace really what time we do have and how great he is and healthy and like, you know, what can we do today to make our journey together be its best? Anything else you want to add, Kimberly? I think one important thing I would also give advice to anybody as a spouse is just to make sure you educate yourself as much as you can about some of the changes that are going to happen. One thing that I know I've discussed with you, which is there are night terrors involved. And that was not something that I, you know, we all have a a vision. Like when you hear Parkinson's, I think my vision of what it was, was just like tremors and possibly being in a wheelchair, lots of different things. I didn't know that speech was involved. I didn't know falling was a risk. I didn't know I mean, just a lot of different things, but the night terrors really took me by surprise. And that was something that had happened 
early on before his diagnosis, he had one very bad dream where he fell out of bed. And so when I started to notice his symptoms and my mom said, oh, hey, you know, that could be Parkinson's, you know, I was like, you want to dismiss it. But I did educate myself. I did some reading. And once I saw some of the, you know, read further and further on some of the different symptoms, you know, I was kind of like, whoa, this is, you know, kind of took a different turn. And, and so that's when I kind of brought it to his attention. So like now being next to him in bed, I'm concerned that he's going to have a bad dream. And I'm, you know, I'm not a light sleeper, but if I do wake up and I hear him and I can tell he's having a pretty intense dream, it makes me very alert. I can't get myself to go back to sleep because I am fearing kind of the worst and I don't want him to hurt himself. So, you know, like bringing that kind of stuff to his attention because he obviously has no memory of it. In fact, like sometimes I'm like, man, what was your dream about last night? He's like, you know, it's funny when you woke me up and made sure I was okay. I remembered it then, but I didn't remember it in the morning. So there's going to be nights that he's going to have some of these dreams and not even realize it. The difference between a night terror and a regular bad dream or a nightmare is that you actually kind of act it out. Yes, yes. So it's the acting out, it's the movement. One of the first times I literally fell out of bed, Mary Beth, I mean, I laugh about it. It's probably not funny, but you know, it's back to the humor point that Kim Wei mentioned, right? I was dreaming I was playing in a soccer game. I was the goalie and someone kicked the ball to the corner of the goal. So I literally dove in my dream, stopped the ball and fell right out of bed. I was talking to somebody the other day and she said she was having a dream that she was in space and was holding the moon in her hands and realized it was the moon was getting so heavy. And by the time she kind of woke up and came to her senses, she's holding her lamp, her nights on her bedstand, thinking like that what she was dreaming she holding the moon, but she's actually holding a lamp. So it's just it's this acting out phase that really differentiate between like, you know, just a, a bad dream that you're actually acting out. And, and, you know, unfortunately, sometimes you hear people becoming violent, right? And, you know, there comes time where sometimes spouses may need to sleep in separate rooms because of that. But, you know, Kimberly's been great because she at least will wake me and, you know, when I'm, something's going on. And the other thing that I just now completed a test for like, they, they'll make sure I don't have any kind of sleep apnea or any other kind of problems that may be contributing to that. So yeah, it's just, it's interesting, you know, this the wide range of symptoms that can really be related back to Parkinson's. And, you know, my doctor said, hey, if you're experiencing something and you're not really sure what it is, let's talk about it because it potentially could be Parkinson's related, right? You know, you have muscle aches and pains. Yeah, that could be from working out, but it could also be Parkinson's related and we need to be doing something different for that. Another thing that we both did not know was he has severe jaw pain. He didn't understand. He was, I mean, I'll let you speak about it, Mark. Yeah. So it's one of those things I was started noticing about six, eight months ago. Like it felt like I was clenching my jaw all the time. And I just thought I was stressed from work, you know, with everything going on. And again, I brought it up to my doctor and they said that very well could be Parkinson's related. Again, kind of that muscle factor. And so now I've had two rounds of Botox, right? They literally shoot Botox right in your jaw. And the last time I went, they had, because I go to University of Cincinnati, they had one of the fellows working and the doctor was coaching him about, and, he's, and he even kind of touched my jaw and said, oh, I can, yeah, your jaw is just, even right now, just completely clenched. And I can feel it just being clenched tight. And it was just wasn't stress related. It was really Parkinson's related that was, you know, making me do that. So again, back to that open conversation with the doctor about, you know, things that you're experiencing, dreams, strange aches and pains, bladder issues as well. So there's a lot of different things. Back to your jaw, did they call it TMJ or just a Parkinson's related? Just a Parkinson's related. Yeah. Nothing as far as diagnosing with TMJ. Okay. Interesting. These things are very good for SLPs to know because when we're seeing patients with Parkinson's, you know, we're seeing them once a week or twice a week and some of these things come up. So it's good to have your insight for sure. I do want to talk about your employer because I think this is really important. And this is something that 
know, we as speech language pathologists, we work with communication in all different ways and trying to find the right time to tell your employer, especially for someone with young onset, because as you said, you are working full time and plan to in the future. And there needs to be a point at which you're going to tell your employer. So tell us what your thoughts were about that and and how that happened. So I think Kimberly mentioned this a little bit right at first. I didn't want to tell anybody beyond my immediate family because I I just didn't want to be treated differently. I didn't want to you know think people I couldn't do something. I wanted to forge my own path there. And so I started talking to different people. Like I said, I reached out to the Davis Finney Foundation to their ambassador program and talked to somebody there. And and their counsel was say, you know, you have to do it when time's right for you. You you know have to evaluate how you think your employer may react. Obviously, you have certain rights as a potentially disabled person or you know reasonable accommodations. I talked to somebody else and he suggested absolutely do not tell them. You can go to your doctor, you can do what you need to do. They don't need to know. As things progressed, I had doctor's appointments. I was leaving early to go to the gym a couple days a week. I felt like I owed my employer an explanation or at least my team my and my immediate coworkers, like for them to know what was going on with me. And a lot of it was a couple things. One, the more I got into this, I knew my employer was going to react and handle it appropriately, right? So that's, I think you need, every person needs to make that evaluation, right? How is your employer going to respond? Again, you all have legal rights, but you know, they can still work around the edges there. And then two, in terms of, for me, it was, I wanted to tell my own story. Right. So we talked a little bit about some of the symptoms of Parkinson's, right? You may lose your balance. You walk a little slower. Your speech may be slower and a little slurred. A lot of times those are the same things that happen when you drink a little too much, right? So I didn't want people to write a different narrative or story for me because they saw me doing something different. And it may not be as severe as thinking I was drinking on the job, but you know, there's different things. So so I, I got to the point where, one, I felt comfortable with my employer as an organization. I felt comfortable with the folks that I was working with. And I just decided to tell people. And, and I had, you know, one-on-one conversations with individuals. And everybody was just so supportive. Even my current boss, you know, I was one of the things that said, hey, I, I don't want you to treat me any differently. Like, don't worry about it because I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to treat you just like I always do. And, you know, I'm not going to back off on you unless you tell me to. Right. So, you know, we have a great open dialogue and, you know, people ask how I'm doing, which is great. Right. Some people are like, I don't know if I should ask you this, but how are you doing? I'm like, no, I, I want to talk about it. Right. Ask me about it. How am I doing? You know, and especially through all this pandemic stuff, you like, is this worse for you, better for you? So I just felt more comfortable having those conversations and then it got to the point, Mary Beth, where I was having, doing things like this with my employer, one of the employee resource groups, and telling my story and encouraging others to be honest with, to tell their story at work so that, you know, you can just be yourself, right? And when things, you know, you need to have something, you know, whether it's, okay, maybe I'm a little fatigued or I need a little bit extra time to do this or whatever it might be, they understand what you're going through. Oh, that's great. That's great. I'm so happy that you have had that situation to work for an employer who understands and and it's been so positive. It must have been a huge weight lifted off your shoulders once you did tell people. It really was. I didn't really think about that, but it really was. I just didn't feel like, you know, not that I was like sneaking around hiding things, but I just didn't need to worry about it anymore. Like, you know, I just it really was. I didn't think it was going to be like kind of that weight, but it, but it really was. Well, good. And you are now in your role on that employee resource team. You are an inspiration to others. So again, your leadership shines through. Thank you. I try to make the most of it. Speaking of employers, and it doesn't sound like, it sounds like your employer reacted so positively that self-advocacy wasn't a huge issue for you. But do you have any advice on self-advocacy? You have to be your own advocate, right? And for yourself, and if you can't do it, bring your spouse along so you can be co-advocates, right? So it's, I think most importantly, it's in your own treatment, right? So with your doctors, being vocal, sharing with them. And if you're not, if your doctors are not giving you what you need, 
to speak up and ask. And if they're not responding, then go find new doctors. There are great doctors out there, but you have to be that advocate for yourself, not only with Parkinson's, but just your own healthcare, right? In terms of speaking up and, and asking questions and asking for help when you need it. You know, same thing goes to work when you need something to ask for it. And, and I have to remember that, you know, within my own family as well, you know, to ask for help and let them know what I'm going through. Good advice. All right. Well, you talked a little bit about the night terrors. Would you say that's been like the biggest surprise or have there been other surprises since your diagnosis? I think it's been one of the bigger, you know, it's like one of the things I didn't expect. I think the other thing, I don't think Mary Beth, you and I even talked about this too much, but bladder issues, right? Uh, That because it's one of the things that I just didn't really expect in terms of an impact was, you know, just the, the frequency and urgency to go. And Thankfully, again, by talking to my doctors, we did all the tests to rule out anything else. And it's really related to Parkinson's. So, you know, some medicines that I've been taking have helped tremendously with that. It's these little odd things. And I think I said this earlier, but, you know, when my doctor said, hey, if you're experiencing anything, let's talk about it because it could be Parkinson's related and we can do something about it if we know what it is. Wow. Well, I'm glad the medicine is helping and really those open lines of communication and and also something good for us to be aware of as SLPs when we have someone in our office and we get long winded. You know, <laughs> it might be time to give them a break, right? <laughs> okay, so here's a big question. Maybe I don't know if I asked Kimberly this before, but for Mark, when you envision the future, what do you look forward to the most? I look forward to being around as long as I can, right? I mean, I'm, I, like I said earlier, I'm doing everything I can every day to make the future as bright as possible. And there's so much research going on right now that maybe one day they'll find a cure. And But, you know, I just try to be as optimistic as possible. For those that Michael J. Fox read his books, he talks about that optimism and gratitude and just trying to be as positive as you can be through it all and just taking that approach towards the future as well, right? Yeah, there may be a day where I'm not going to be able to get around it the best that I want to, but I'm just going to just to work hard and try my best and live the experiences now. You know, I think that's kind of changed Kimberly in our mindsets and with my daughter as well, to, with, you know, to spend more time on family vacations, you know, buy some things that you may not have because you may not be around forever to enjoy them. So enjoy it now while you can before it comes to it. Cause we just don't know, right? I mean, I could be perfectly fine. So I'm, you know, eighties, nineties, five years from now, I could be having some really bad symptoms where I can, I have a hard time walking without, you know, without some assistance. So just trying to be optimistic and positive about what the future can potentially hold. Well, that's great. And once again, such an inspiration and so positive this of course, is for continuing education for SLPs. But I do hope that once it is on other podcast platforms, that there might be some other people with young onset who might be able to listen to this and and hear all of your positivity. And Kimberly, you as well, when you envision the future, what do you look forward to most? Just spending time with him and, and just taking each challenge as they come and just trying to stay positive. Vacations, traveling, you know, all those things that honestly we looked forward to in the past, but I think you appreciate them more, obviously, you know, when you have, I don't want to call this a setback, but it's a challenge. Mary Beth, there's one thing I didn't mention, and and I think I want to, because, you know, you talked about the support groups and being open and honest with those around you. And I think that for me, it involved our daughter as well, right? Just having the conversation with her because, you know, I've heard, you know, talk to some people like they don't want to tell their kids because they don't want to upset their kids. We made the decision to tell our daughter right away. And she, you know, at times had a difficult time dealing with it. When I was forced to start working out at home, she was right there with me. And that, that was really a huge motivation for me is just having her as a workout partner. So like, dad, what, when are we working out tonight? What are we doing? And so it was, it was nice to have her in that routine and establish that. Well, thank you for mentioning that. I wanted to mention that, but I didn't know if, if that was on the table. So she is such a great kid. Thank you for mentioning that. Do you think she was appreciative of being told when you told her 
instead of waiting? I'll take this one if you don't mind. Sorry. So we, I mean, we told her pretty early on, but we waited. She had some competitions and in the summer and we just did not really want her. We were afraid she could get in her head a little bit about it. So we kind of waited for the right time to tell her. And we had told her it was a possibility very soon on. So I think that prepared her a little bit. So her like initial reaction when I told her we think he could have it was she got very quiet and then she lost it, you know? So then when I did tell her three months later, when we finally got the full diagnosis, and like I said, she had these competitions to get through, she handled it so much better. And then she and Mark took a walk. I think it was that evening because I said, Hey, you know, I told her on this car ride home, you kind of have to pick the right opportunities to do things. And I kind of felt like it was better for me to be able to tell her and not look her right in the face, but she was right there with me because then, you know, sometimes when you're making that kind of eye contact, it can become very emotional. And I was very emotional about it. So she handled it very, very well. And I know she's done a lot of reading on her own because she'll mention things. So she's handled it very well. And I, you know, we're very proud of her. Sometimes well, I forgot what the question was. It was about the timing, <laughs> but that explains it because we, well, just like with anything else in life, we have to be aware of everything else that's going on. And it takes adults, it takes kids, teenagers time to process things. So that actually seemed to be a good situation telling her that it could be, and then it gave her time to adjust and it wasn't a total shock once you did tell her. Mm-hmm. Do you think this has inspired her career choice? I kind of do. And I actually think as she matures more that she and, and, you know, being, seeing him, I think she'll get herself even more involved Mm -hmm. in that Mm -hmm. direction. All right. So we are just, we are out of time, but we can have a few last parting words. Mark, is there any other advice that you would like to give anyone with young onset Parkinson's? A lot of people, when they hear it, they think it's a death sentence, right? Like, you know, this is going to impact me for the rest of my life. And I think it's one of those things that if you don't take control of it, it will do that. But there are so many opportunities for you to take control, you to to educate yourself, to stay active, to stay involved. And when you can do those things and just, I think, trying to be as optimistic as possible, find that network of individuals. It's really not that you know, kind of death sentence, right? It's, it's something that you can, yes, it may define you, but at the same time, it can really kind of create a lot of new and exciting opportunities. I mean, I hate to say, I mean, there's sure, I wish I had never had this disease, but in some way it's given me a new platform, a new purpose and a new meaning and a new, new outlook on life. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing And since this is live, we do have the opportunity if anyone listening would like to ask any questions. I know we're a little short on time, but that's okay. We do have one question. How can I get involved in Young Onset Parkinson's Network? So I think right now there's a Facebook group that you can follow there. And then if somebody wants to contact me directly, I'd be happy to give them some more information, get you on some email distribution list, et cetera. Like I said, our website is up and coming, so it should be available really in, in the next couple of weeks. So I think the best way to reach me is via my email, which is my name, Mark Coas, M-A-R-K-K-O-H-U-S at gmail.com. That's really the best way to get in contact with me. I'll welcome any questions. Whoever wants to find out more about the Young Onset Parkinson's Network, just send me the email and I'll get you in touch with, the, with everybody. All right. That is great. I don't think we have any other questions. There was a question about fort training, but since you have not been in any speech language pathology or therapy, you have not had that type of training. All right. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you guys being here. And as I've said many times throughout, you are an inspiration to many, including myself. And I truly appreciate your willingness to come on this platform and talk to me and talk to other people and share your experiences and so many resources. And thanks to all of our participants tonight. I know we went a little bit over. As a reminder, for this live episode to get live CEUs, you must log into your speechtherapypd.com account and complete the entire course content. 
by the end of the day today. And we have one last comment from one of our listeners. She says, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. And Mary Beth, thank you for thinking of this idea. I've enjoyed it. Well, thank you. I have enjoyed it as well. Thanks for joining us here at Keys for SLPs, providing keys to open new doors to better serve our clients throughout the lifespan. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs for this episode and more. Thanks for your positive reviews and support. I would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. Keep up the good work.